like to throw out is, hey, if God's all-powerful, why doesn't he just stop it? Right? Man, this God you're saying is just this all-powerful, almighty God, why doesn't he stop it? They go on to say usually this, God is omnibenevolent, which is a word that I like to use, but some other people saw, uh, talk about him being perfectly good. All good is the word I like to say, meaning omnibenevolent. If God is such a good being, why does he allow my grandmother to suffer like she suffers? Atheists would like to point to that as a problem with the existence of God. I beg to differ, and we're not going to get into the whole proof of that, but obviously where does the definition of evil, pain, and suffering come from if they don't believe in a God? So we, you can kind of explore that if you want to. But the, the, the general gist of it is, hey, God is all good, but in fact, the third prong of this is that evil, pain, and suffering does exist. So you have an all-powerful God, you have an all-good God, but yet what we see around us is evil, pain, and suffering in this world. And so the question comes to be, as I've already alluded to, if God is all-powerful and all-good, how can he let this happen? Is the all-giving question with regard to the problem of pain and suffering in our world. And I think it's very interesting to think about. And it's not an easy thing to answer. I hope to try and squeeze into this class period at least some type of an answer. Obviously, I've given you several resources on your handouts to further explore this if you'd like to. Uh, There's multiple articles that are are alluded to and and referenced there is where I got some of the sources. This is not all original material. Uh, Trust me, I don't have the time to develop all original material. I do a good job of compiling things and trying to put it out there for you together. But what you see, and and I'll tell you, if if you have questions more than when we get done today with this, look at apologeticspress.org. AP guys do a great job with this. Brother Wayne Jackson, who does the Christian Courier, uh, is another great resource on this. He does a lot of apologetics materials. There's other resources out there you can find that are free. You can get on there, search the internet, find answers to more of these questions. But this is what is brought to our attention and brought to our minds is why does God let these things happen to us? Well, what I'd like for us to do is do some exploration and look and see uh, what the Bible has to say about why evil or pain and suffering exist and look at some of these things. And really the scriptures give us some type of an idea and concept as to why these things exist, why God allows them to exist, why uh, some of these things happen to us in our lives. They give us some excellent lessons and reasons why uh, pain and suffering exist on earth. And so hopefully some of these points will give you a better understanding about why God allows such things to occur and why things do occur here on this, world, or this earth uh, to us. Um, but... At the outset, if God is all-loving and God is all-powerful, obviously everything that he allows to occur is going to be for our best interests. And ultimately, and this is why I'm kind of glad I did this after last week's lesson, ultimately God's love and God's power, all of it seeks to fulfill what? Salvation, which is overwhelmingly his, there's a four-letter word here, will, his will. You know, we talked about in the last couple of lessons, that's the first two-part lesson we've had in this, but those two parts of that lesson about what is God's will for us in life, and what we determined is, is ultimately the Scripture talks about this overwhelming, this big will of God, being that God wants us to be saved, He wants us to be reconciled, He wants us to have our sins forgiven, so that eternally we'll be with Him. That's God's will for us. Everything else kind of feeds into that overwhelming big will of God, all these little things that we may think are important when in reality they may not be as important 
you know, daily life decisions. Do I go to Walmart today or do I not? Well, is that really part of God's will? Probably not. Probably not. Does it matter if uh, ACA wins the football game on Friday night? No, probably not. God's will really isn't necessarily going to be uh, into that because those things somewhat are foolish in God's eyes. God cares about the spiritual, not always really about the physical. Now, what he does do is he allows the physical and the choices and the consequences, which is going to be our first point, by the way, to help go into his will, to help make sure that those things are brought about and done to fulfill what God intends and God wants. So when we make some boneheaded decisions in life, guess what? God can use those. (laughs) We may not like them. (laughs) We may not like the consequences or the results of our actions. But guess what? God may be able to, to use those choices and decisions to help make sure his will is done and uh, his will is accomplished in life. Here, let's go on a couple of these points here. Pain and suffering exist because, number one, God allows us to exercise free will. We are free moral agents in our lives. What that means is we're not controlled by some kind of motherboard with God saying, okay, John, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this, and exactly steer every course that I take in life. God is not necessarily going to manually override my decision-making process to make sure that the things that I want, the things that I like, the things that I choose to do are always the things that God wants me to choose to do. God's not going to do that. That's up to me. It's my choice. God doesn't want robots to be his servants. God wants us to be servants because we are willing, because we are loving, and because we choose to be a servant. There's a great song, a youth song, it's called Pierce My Ear. I think we've sung it a few times here at Dalreda. But there's a song called Pierce My Ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day, for I will serve no other God. Lord, I'm here to stay. And what that alludes to is an Old Testament passage talking about servants or slaves who are actually released from their bondage, so to speak. Uh, They are allowed to be set free. And so what happens is it says in the passage in the Old Testament, if that servant or if that slave decides they want to come back and work for you willingly, lovingly, because their own free choice and decision making, they actually have a pierced ear to indicate their decision. They are marked as being a willing and willful servant of their master. That's what God wants in our lives. God allows us to exercise free will in our lives. He created man with the freedom to make our own choices. Now, you need to think about this, though. Consider how sometimes pain and suffering comes from those choices. Not because God dictates it, not because God wants it, but because we have chosen it. We're going to reap the consequences of our actions, right? Look, first, uh, first Peter chapter 4, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a, as a meddler. What we see there is there are some choices that can be made. And it is no way, form or fashion, God's desire that we suffer because we murder somebody. That's not the decision or the choice that God wants. God wants us, now, if we suffer, obviously, God's going to let us reap what we sow, so to speak. That's not God's decision for us to go out there and decide we're going to steal something from the supermarket. It's not God's decision or God's desire, God's choice that we uh, commit or do evil or meddle in other people's businesses. 
Other people's private affairs. That's not what God desires. That's not the choice God would make for us if he were dictating, manipulating, or manually controlling us in this world. Those are the things that he would be choosing. But people choose those things, don't they? I tell you, I prosecuted crimes in Montgomery County for over eight years. You see people making bad choices, and they have to suffer the consequences of them. Is that God? No, it's not God. It's us making those decisions, those bad choices that we see. There's other wrong personal choices that we can make, just not, not just crime. I don't want to just think about criminal actions. We can make bad decisions, bad choices. Uh, my wife teaching kindergarten. Uh, every day I hear about um, the, the little boys and girls who, who made bad choices that day. You know, they didn't lay down when they were told to. And they, just, they don't have to go to sleep. They just got to lay down and rest during nap time. But yet instead they talk. They talk. They talk. They cause disruption. They cause problems in the classroom. It's against the rules of the classroom. They make these bad choices. Guess what? They suffer the consequences for those bad choices. They get notes home. They don't get to do certain activities, possibly. Uh, there are repercussions. Think about us in the grown-up world. It's not just nap time for us anymore, is it? You know, you may make a bad choice or decision at work that you're not going to fulfill or accomplish something that your boss has said you're supposed to do. And because of that, you may lose your job. You may get demoted. You may lose pay. You may get disciplined and be written up, something in your HR folder. Is that God? Are you going to blame God for that decision? No, it's not God. It's you making your free will choice and your decision to do something in life. Think about others' decisions. Bad things happen to good people because other people make bad decisions, not necessarily you. I can't tell you how many times that I've prosecuted or been involved in prosecutions of cases where innocent bystanders, innocent children maybe even traveling in a vehicle, were either killed or injured because some drunk driver decided to get out on the roads after drinking and, drive, and deciding they wanted to drive when they were impaired. They were impacted not because of God's choice, not because of something God did, but because of someone else's choice, a bad choice, a bad decision in life. And that individual, that child suffered because of it. Think about history. How many times are countries or places suffering or in pain or have problems because previous generations have made bad, horrible, evil decisions. We can go back and look at Bible times. Think about the flood. How many generations were impacted from that? Many, many generations. You can talk to geologists. You can talk to other people who who think about the devastating impact that a flood would have occurred on all the earth. You know why that happened? Bad people made some bad choices. Think about countries around the world. You have some living in famine or in poverty. Why? Because some of them have just decided to outright forsake God. They have abused their, their freedom to make choices and to follow after certain things. Uh, innocent children are starving. Why? Because you have cultures who decided to throw away the almighty God and decide to, to, to serve cows as being holy. And so instead of having people eating and using what God has given us and blessed us with in this world, you have them worshiping the created instead of the creator. And you have consequences after consequences for those generations to come. It's not God's fault when bad things happen to good, to good people. Sometimes it's bad people's fault 
And I think that's what we've got to understand. Choices. God giving us the uh, ability to exercise free will is one of the one, most wonderful gifts that he's given us. But it can also cause problems because we're people. And when we're people, we make bad decisions. Think back to the Garden of Eden. It's a pretty bad decision made there, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, they had it made. They had everything they would ever want, desire, need in the garden with them. What do they do? God you know, told them, hey, just don't eat of this tree over here. That's all you got to do, Adam and Eve. Just don't eat of it. Simple commandment. I mean, you talk about not having a lot of things not to do. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty easy, right? I mean, nowadays there's always so many different things not to, to do. God said one simply, do not eat of this tree. And we had a lady and her husband make a pretty bad decision and ate of the tree instead. They disobeyed because of that one boneheaded move, the bad decision, the sin that occurred there in the Garden of Eden. We had all kinds of evil, pain, and suffering since that we see. We've got to realize with the freedom to make choices also comes the freedom to accept the consequences of those choices. God will not, and we would not want him to, reach down and stop any and every misstep that we may take in this world. We don't want to be robots. I don't want to be a robot. And God doesn't want us to be robots, as I said. He wants us to make those free decisions to follow him, to love him, and to obey him. He's not going to make you do those things. But we also got to realize that hand-in-hand with that concept is the fact that sometimes we bring about pain and suffering on ourselves. Pain and suffering also exists, uh, not just because of our choices, other people's choices, or choices by the former generations, but also because there's a thing called natural laws that actually take effect. We live in a world that is regulated by natural laws, which God created, by the way. It's not that it was just came in about, not just poof, hey, all of a sudden there's some natural laws here. God placed things in order. If you read Genesis' account of creation, you see all those things that God created. And at the end of it, God said, all these things are good. You know, he established the, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Why? To give us seasons and to give us days and years. He placed a natural order in, thing, in things that he created in this world. Uh, And so that natural order, that natural law that God created still affects us even today. Things such as weather, you know, or something that that God set in motion many, many years and ages ago before civilizations even grew or, or came about. And there may be storms, there may be tornadoes, there may be hurricanes that come about. Not necessarily because God's trying to punish somebody, but that's just nature, And God's not going to step in and and just contradict his own natural laws he's placed into effect each and every time that it may have a negative impact on the world. Why? Well, because that's what God has set in course. You don't want him continually disrupting natural law. It will cause create havoc, honestly, is what it will cause. Unpredictability. uh, Those things which uh, it will be much harder on us in the long run than easier on us. Yeah, it may save a couple of people. It may save a little pain and suffering, but ultimately down the road, it could hurt us even more because of our uh, lack of ability to understand what God has created. If he continually changes his creation, which he doesn't do, it's hard for us to look at his creation and, and understand the glorious and marvelous ability that he had to design it to occur and, and work the way that it does. You think of gravity. You know, gravity is a, a natural thing. Obviously, we're all kind of standing still, sitting still here today. We're not just floating around without gravity. But, you know, gravity, that law of gravity is something that is, is obviously um, consistent. And because of its consistency, a building may fall sometimes. 
an item may fall on someone, cause damage, may uh, fall and kill or injure someone or something. Uh, what, has God got to step in every time like Superman and try and defy that law of gravity? No, that's not what he does. He allows those things to take place, allows us to have the knowledge that those things may occur. And as humans, of course, we can respond to that. We don't have to go to that a building. You know, we could be someone who just decides we're going to stay where there's just level playing field because we have foreknowledge. We know that gravity works. There are natural laws that have come, and sometimes pain and suffering exists because we have uh, the natural laws that take effect and impact us. His will, God's will, of course, is that, as I said before, is that we find true reconciliation with him, that we ultimately have redemption. We have that salvation. Sometimes, I think, and you can see that in biblical passages, he allows some of these natural disasters to bring in a bit of a reminder. And that kind of bleeds into the next uh, point that I want to get to uh, with regard to edification and ultimately the fourth point of God using it to discipline us. But God sometimes uses natural disasters. I don't think he intentionally causes it. I, I think back to the way that I heard some evangelistic pastors, preachers, whatever you want to call them on TV after like Katrina hit. I don't know if it was Pat Robertson or somebody else, but talks about the fact that God created this storm, so he was going to go there and purge New Orleans of all the sin and the corruption and the problem that were there. Well, I'm not saying God didn't do that, okay? I mean, God certainly has the ability to do those things. But from what I understand and from what I see in God's passages, what he sometimes does is he allows those things to occur. And he allows those things to occur. Why? Because he's going to make sure that the people know, one, he's got power, Number two, it's going to be a helpful reminder that his will is supposed to be done over anything and everything else. And that ultimately, it may bring back remembrance to others, yes. It doesn't mean he intentionally caused them to happen, but it may be that he allows them to happen so that they bring us back. I think a 9-11 is a, a really good reminder. And as we look back now, you know, 10 years plus after it occurred, we see the impact it had on our country. We see the impact that that kind of an event had on our country. I don't think God intentionally meant for terrorists to blow up the buildings, the Twin Towers, and, and God intentionally meant for over 3,000 to die that day. But what you do see is God allowing it to occur, and then the, the ramifications of that is the reminders afterwards that you saw peaking up. Why? Because people started realizing and remembering that there is a God. That that God is the God we should be holding and clinging to. He allows those disasters to occur so that our lives hopefully will be better. It becomes a providential way, if you want to use the word we talked about last week, for God to actively allow his will to be accomplished in this world. But natural laws take effect. Pain and suffering may occur because some tree down the power line, and that power line uh, electrocuted somebody. Is that God's fault? No, God allowed it to happen. He could have, obviously, all these things, God can supernaturally come down and, and change it. He's done things in the past to prove his mighty will. He doesn't have to do that today, but could he? Well, you're sure. I'm not going to put any limitations on my God. He doesn't, though. He allows things to occur because the natural laws have been put into effect. Things like gravity, things like storms, things like the weather. Those things that we think of around us that uh, actually can occur and can ultimately maybe cause some pain and suffering if we allow it to be. Pain and suffering also exists because he allows it to edify his children. He allows pain and suffering to build us up. And that's getting really kind of deep here, isn't it? 
dealing with why God does things. But if you look in the, in the scriptures, you see some reasons and some, some good examples here that suffering reminds us uh, that this world was not designed to be man's final abode. We'll get into that just a little bit more later on. But we are to consider ourselves strangers in this world. Hebrews eleven thirteen. these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. First Peter chapter two, verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Where there is only sunshine and no rain, nothing but a desert exists. God allows us to endure the storms of life so that we will not be a deserted wasteland of a life. He allows us to be edified, to be encouraged, to be built up by those things that happen around us. And he allows those things to be helpful reminders, as we'll see in a moment, as we talk about some of the value, or maybe next week, as we talk about the value of suffering, allows those things to help give us a helpful reminder that we should be built up, we should be encouraged, we should be edified in knowing that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And he allows the pain and suffering to be that reminder to encourage us, to help us, and to build us up for those things. Suffering uh, should nudge us toward a better existence. If man's going to use the wisdom which God, the creator, endowed him with, he'll be able to use the adversities of life to help fashion the kind of character with which the creator is pleased and by which he's also glorified. Those things which impact us, those things which affect us, those things which which in the moment, in the heat of the moment, we may think this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. In the end, maybe that flame needed to purify your soul. And God sees that as being something to encourage you and to build you up. And God allows those things to happen because he knows what they can do for you. Finally, the fourth point I think I want to point out, and there may be others, and you may think of some others, uh, but pain and suffering exist because God allows it to discipline his children. Those of you who are parents or grandparents and deal with disciplining children know how important it is. Not just to discipline them, but to be consistent as you discipline them. That in discipline, it's not that you're angry with them. You never discipline out of anger. You read books, you can see all those things, and as a parent, you realize why you don't do that. You don't ever want your anger to get the best of you when you're disciplining a child because discipline should always be from what? For the sake of the child, because why? Why do we discipline our children and our grandchildren? We love them. We love them. It's not just because I'm so sick and tired of my child screaming out loud. Now, I might be sick and tired of it, but the point that I discipline her from wanting to do those things is because I'm trying to lay the foundation of obedience for my child. And that it means not just being obedient to mommy and daddy, but ultimately and later on in life, my goal, my hope, my heart's desire is that down the road, my children are going to obey the ultimate father. That's our God in heaven. Discipline is not something you take lightly. It's not something that you're scared to do. It's something that you do because it's obligatory, it's mandatory, and you've got to do it because you love your child. If you don't love your child, guess what? You hate them. It's a good negative, right? You don't love them, you hate them. If you don't discipline them, what does God say you do to your child? It says you hate your child. God himself disciplines us 
in our lives. Now, how does he always do that? I, I can't tell you. <laughs> I can't tell you that answer necessarily today. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you, hey, hey, Brother Wayne, God disciplines you this way. I, I don't know. I think it's different for each of us. I think he allows things to progress. I think providentially he allows things to discipline us because he allows us to see the result of our actions. Again, I think that's another reason why he doesn't intercede on every little misstep we make in life because he's got to let us see that when we fall, there are consequences. So we don't fall again. God says over in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 through 11, it says this, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, this is God, he disciplines us for our good. Why? That we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Man, how deep is that to talk to parents? Parents, you got to spank your children. Why? Because you got to show them, show them that even though it may be painful for a short while, in the end, it will yield the peaceful fruits of righteousness. Well, my argument about timeouts and, and other kind of things like that is that it doesn't emphasize to the child how it can, painful some things can be. I think the, the Proverbs writer talks about that, um, obviously, you spare the rod, you spoil the child, things like that. That You, you talk about the, the idea that there's an admonition that comes along with a, a, a painful, momentary moment of pain to indicate to the individual that this is wrong that this result is bad. Your choice was a bad choice. And guess what? How parallel is that to us in our lives today? We may experience a momentary period or point of pain or suffering in our lives. But I believe you see God using and allowing that to occur, allowing the pain of suffering to occur in our lives. Why? So that... Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's something to be said about good discipline, not just of kids, not just of children, not just of even adults, but really something to be said about discipline to Christians. And that's what God wants us to have in our lives. Why does evil, pain, and suffering exist? Well, it exists because God allows it to discipline his children. Think about a couple of examples. Second Samuel chapter 12. Does anybody know what this alludes to? David and Bathsheba. One of those ooh, big, big bad sins of the Bible, right? Uh, we love to emphasize that sometimes as we think about the evil living. Of course, David's lying about... Other things in his life are just as bad as his adultery with Bathsheba, his going into the temple and partaking of the showbread without permission, without being a rightful person to go in there and do that. It's just as evil and just as sinful as his, his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. We, we like to point to the Bathsheba, though, because it hits home really to us, especially in this world, so focused on the sensual and so focused on that type of a sin. But what you see in Second Samuel chapter 12 is is the... The end result, the suffering and the pain 
that David really experienced because of it. Because what happened? What you see is that in that passage of Scripture, of course, God takes his child. God takes his child because of his sin. We're talking about suffering. God allows that to occur. Now, why did God take an innocent little baby? Well, there... There's a lot of big discussions with regard to that. But just think about this. First of all, innocent little baby should answer your questions there. That baby's in heaven. (laughs) You know, that baby's in heaven. Better off than most of us are right now. More than that, though, you see God allowing that death to change David's heart. To make David realize and to continue to discipline him to make him see what was most important on this life. And in this earthly existence. Some other examples that you see. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. What happened to Jonah? What did he do to God? He disobeyed God. So God caused a great fish, a big fish, or some translations have mistalked about it being a whale. It's just a big fish. A big fish to be created. And then that big fish not only to be created, but also to come from the depths of the oceans or the waves and the waters. I don't think it was actually the ocean, but anyways the sea, to come up and actually swallow Jonah. And a lot of us think, man, what a fanciful, fanatical type of a story. We did it for VBS this year, and we had a lot of fun uh, with the skit up here, talking about Jonah being swallowed by the big fish, and then the fish vomited, you know, spit him out on the, on the land. But you got to think about that. Poor Jonah, <laughs> poor Jonah, probably wasn't having a grand old time inside the belly of the fish. You know, he wasn't. I can't tell you it was smelly, stinky. He suffered inside that fish. No indication that he had anything to eat for those three days. <laughs> you know, I guess he could have picked the plaque off the fish or something and eat whatever's inside the belly, I guess, to try and make do. But you talk about some suffering. I mean, us as adults, think about that, that, that thought process. It's not a children's story for us. That's, that's a pretty big example. Jonah disobeyed God. God allowed pain and suffering on Jonah. Why? Because he wanted to discipline him. He wanted to teach him. He wanted to train him so that he followed after righteousness. Think about Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And I read this passage again. A lot of times we specifically say that God struck down Ananias and Sapphira. But if you read the passage, it actually doesn't say that. Um, not in that passage, at least. Uh, what you see, I, I'm not saying he didn't. Uh, I think that it was a direct uh, correlation to them lying. And all of a sudden, boom, he was struck down and he was obviously disciplined. Or they were disciplined. But in this passage of Scripture, it's not really Ananias and Sapphira that I'm talking about the discipline. It's the early church. It's the early church. You think about the impact that that had on a congregation of the Lord's church. And this is in the infancy of them being these New Testament Christians and in the infancy of their belief and their obedience and and the fact that they're still learning about what God is about and and what they should be doing as Christians. You got to understand, Acts chapter 5, they're still learning these things. They didn't have a Bible to open up and to learn and just to read and soak. They had to speak day in and day out with the apostles to understand the teachings, the desires, the, the, the commandments of God. At that point in time. In Acts chapter 5, what you see is an open defiance by two, a husband and a wife, lying to the apostles about what they were giving to God. And I'm not going to read all 11 verses, but it is very apparent that the ulterior motive of Ananias and Sapphira was one to get personal acclaim and attention and credit 
among the brethren, saying, oh, they've done this mighty, mighty thing. They sold all this land and they've given us everything, when in fact, they didn't. And they lied. And parents and grandparents, you want to talk about the, the problems with lying? Here's a good example to show your child. Guess what? Ananias and Sapphira, they died. You know, it's not just a, a failing grade on a paper. It's not just that they got grounded for a week. They didn't just get spanked. Man, they got killed because they lied. And that example of the pain and suffering and, and evil and death on somebody was really and truly used by God as what? Discipline for the Lord's church. What happened after that disciplining of the church? What did it do? What did the church, what happened to the church? Great fear came upon them all. And they continued to grow. Wow. Isn't that our goal as parents and grandparents when we're trying to discipline those that we love? We don't necessarily want, I guess, fear. And the fear there is really a fear of God. It's not a, a, a terrifying, but it is a, a respect. And the word fear there, the Greek word for fear, is not necessarily like they're cowering in fear, but it is an awe. It is an aspect of respect given because they see the almighty power that they are surrounded by. And they live in fear, not trembling. It's not the fear and trembling like you think about like the, the demons. Um, they tremble because they're scared to death. But the fear comes from that healthy appreciation of knowing who almighty God is. And not only did they appreciate that, but they grew. And that's what we want our children to do, isn't it? We want our children to grow in knowledge and in favor with God and with man. We want them to be good examples around them, but more than that, we want ultimately their lives to be healthy, spiritual lives. That's what God wants. And you see from these examples, and we could list several different other ones, where God allows pain and suffering to exist so that we are disciplined, so we get our rears back in gear, so to speak, for God. We make sure that we are on that right path following those things that God wants us to do. And he allows pain and suffering to fulfill that goal. Now, isn't it interesting? Allowing pain and suffering in all these situations and circumstances are all going toward what we call the will of God, right? Everything here is to fulfill, hopefully, that will of God so that we become saved, obedient, reconciled, redeemed Members of the church who are going to heaven with God. We're going to pick up here next week, talk about the value of suffering and pain. I think there's some good points there to look at how it can apply in our lives. Appreciate y'all's kind attention.